A very good day to you all. This is Pastor Richards, and today we are embarking upon part three of the series Knowing God. Today's topic is entitled Christ Reveals the Father. Now, in part one of this series, I referenced the text John 17 and verse 3, and we'll begin by going back there today. It tells us that there is some connection between eternal life and having a right knowledge of God. Notice what it says again. And this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Notice again that there is some connection here between life eternal and knowing God. Why is this so? Because whatever we believe about God will find expression. In other words, it will be reflected in our own life. If we believe that God is this angry being, we will find that we ourselves have anger issues. And we will even deny the fact that we have these issues. We will even go to great lengths to justify ourselves in our anger issues. Because deep down inside, we don't see God doing things any differently. And this is a very deep truth that goes to the depths of how our mind works. And most people are totally unaware of it. So this short text is loaded with so much information. John 17, 3. Now we all know that for people who believe in God, God is the most exalted being, the highest being, the greatest and most powerful being in the universe. He is over the whole universe because he is the creator of it. At least, everybody who believes in God believes that there is no one higher than God. But believing this exerts a powerful effect upon our own mind. Because whatever we perceive God to be, however we imagine him functioning and relating to us and dealing with situations, this will influence the way we ourselves relate to others and deal with situations involving others and the way we live our life out in the world. So our perception of God shapes our own behavior in more ways than we realize. If we perceive of God as behaving a certain way, according to our own thinking, according to our imagination, according to how we believe, then that same way will be how we ourselves will behave in dealing with certain similar situations. So if we believe that God hates his enemies and seeks nothing but to destroy them, we will find it impossible to love our enemies and do good to them as the scripture admonishes us to do. And this is a law of the mind. This is a fact of life. It's both scientific and it's biblical. And that is what we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. It says, We beholding as in a glass, some versions say as in a mirror. In other words, we're looking at the reflection. We're looking at a picture in our own mind, in our own thinking and believing about God. It says, as we behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18 so that is exactly what happens. Whatever we are believing, whatever our focus is, we are being changed into the same thing. And that is exactly how we are going to relate to others. 
It will be according to how we view God as relating to others. The picture we have in our minds concerning the attributes of God. The principle behind it is this. Whatever it is that we're holding is what we're being changed into. If you place a little child before the television and have them watch violent shows day after day after day, you should not be surprised if that child starts to exhibit such attitudes of violence also. Because whatever we're beholding is molding our mind into a certain way of viewing things and we are being changed accordingly. Understand this, dear friends, that there is nothing that we can behold, no belief that we can hold onto. That is more transformative. That is more able to change us more than our particular beliefs concerning God. We are being changed into whatever it is that we're focusing on. And why is this so? Again, because God is the greatest being in the universe. And to be like God gives us power. It gives us confirmation in our own thinking, in our own mind, in our own head that we're on the right track. So we will find reasons to justify ourselves in whatever we're doing because after all, we are subconsciously being programmed or driven by the idea that this is how God operates too. And this can apply both in a positive sense and in a negative sense. We will justify our own selves in our own vindictive and revengeful behavior if we think that's how God operates. We will justify our own selves in our own selfishness. We will justify ourselves in our hatred of others because we think that God himself does the very same thing. And much of this is taking place subconsciously. And so many people will cling to such a way of thinking even when it has been shown to them that it is incorrect. And why? Because it's easier for people to believe that God is a certain way You know, any way which reinforces their own defectiveness so that they feel no need to change. It is easier to cling to this way of thinking than to embrace the truth about God and his word as is revealed in the life of Jesus Christ. Because it is the character of Christ that brings every one of us to the realization that we need change, that we are defective. Now, question. Does God want us to have a good character? Yes. Does he want us to be changed into his image in terms of being able to live according to his love and his kindness, his goodness, his mercy, and all these things? Of course he does. The Bible tells us this in many, many places. But if your character, my character, our characters are shaped by our knowledge of God, how is it that we develop a character that is in harmony with his? Well, simply put, We have to know the truth about God. We have to have right beliefs established in our mind concerning him because we're going to be shaped by what we believe. That is the power of belief. If we have misconceptions, we're going to be changed into the same image of what we're beholding, of what we're thinking, according to whatever misconceptions we hold. We're going to be shaped by these. So back to the question, does God want us to be shaped according to godly principles in terms of our actions and the way we live and relate to others? Of course he does. That's very evident all throughout the Bible. In fact, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 says that God has predestined us to be conformed 
to the image of His Son. So by the Spirit of God, we're being changed if we're beholding Him aright. Now, since knowing God aright determines who we really are in our own heart, what would God do to help us to become more like Him in character? He would reveal the truth about Himself to us. And that is why we have the Word of God, the written Word, the Bible. But there are many parts of the Bible that are not so easily understood by many people. And sometimes the writings of the prophets might be a little obscure to the understanding of many people. And so since God wants to leave us with absolutely no doubt concerning the truth about himself, God therefore reveals himself to us so that we may relate to him and to each other. Here is what the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 3. God, who at many times and in many ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he had appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds. Now think about this. God, it says, spoke to the fathers, that's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and others, by the prophets. Why? In order to reveal himself to us, to give us his word, So the scripture says God spoke through the prophets and gave us a revelation of himself through their writings. But knowing how important it is for us to know him clearly, God went beyond and sent his son. The scripture says that after the prophets, God then spoke to us through his son. Now, speaking of the son, it goes on to say in verse 3, Hebrews 1 verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power through himself cleansing our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So the scripture says that God who in various times and in the past spoke to the ancient fathers through the prophets saw it necessary afterwards to speak to us by his son who is the brightness of the father's glory and the express image of the father's person. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 to 3. Now, what do these phrases mean? Let's pick them apart. First, the brightness of his glory. What is God's glory? We turn to Exodus and we learn something there concerning God's glory. Now, typically, most people think that God's glory only means like a bright, shining radiance of light. But no, there is an even more important meaning to the word glory as it applies to God. You know, Moses had just led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And a few weeks later, they came to Mount Sinai, where God invites Moses up to the mount to commune with him and to give Moses the Ten Commandments engraved in tables of stone. Moses went up and was there in God's presence, the Bible tells us, for 40 days, so that when he returned, his face shone with such radiance, such brilliance, that the people could not look upon him. He had to veil his face. But while he was up in the mount during that 40-day period, this is Moses up in Mount Sinai, and he's speaking with God. Exodus 33, 18. And he said, I beseech you, let me see your glory. In other words, I beseech you, the King James says, show me your glory. Well, did God understand the question? Of course he did. Is there anything that he does not understand? Does God know how to give a straight answer to a straight question? Of course he does. So when Moses asked God, show me your glory, 
Notice God's response. Verse 19 of Exodus 33. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. So Moses made a straightforward request in prayer. And God gave a straight answer to his request. Understand, dear friends, that God's glory is God's goodness. In other words, it's God's character of goodness and mercy towards us. God is ever pouring out his goodness and mercy, his favor upon us, not seeking to do us harm, but to benefit us and to bless us. In response to Moses' question, show me your glory. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And another way in which the Bible speaks of God's character is by his name. In the Hebrew culture of Bible times, your name speaks of your character. It indicates character. And we have many examples in the Bible to show that your name implies your character. During the time of David, there was a man named Nabal, whom the scriptures say was a cruel and evil man. The Bible also tells us that he was a foolish man. In fact, the word Nabal actually means fool, an indication of his character. What did the name Jacob mean? Jacob meant deceiver. Remember how he deceived his father to get the birthright? But after Jacob repented from his deceptive ways, what did the Lord say to him? Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, meaning deceiver. You shall be called Israel. What does Israel mean? Overcomer. One who overcomes. He became an overcomer and his name was changed to signify that. So your name signifies your character. And there are many examples. And so in response to the plea of Moses, I beseech you, show me your glory. When God responded, God said, I will let all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. What is he saying? I will make known to you my character of righteousness. Now, let's turn to the next chapter in Exodus, chapter 34 and verses 5 to 6. This is when God shows up to fulfill what he said he would do. It reads thus, Exodus 34, 5 and 6. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, that's with Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. So God showed up and proclaimed the attributes of his righteous character in response to the plea of Moses, Show me your glory. God's glory represents his righteous character. So in Hebrews chapter 1, where it says that Jesus Christ is the brightness of the Father's glory, it means he came to give us the full revelation of the character of God, to reveal to us what God is like. When Jesus was on earth, he didn't come with some brilliant light around him so that no one could look upon him, no. But he lived out a life that says to us, this is what God is like. He's full of forgiveness and abundant in goodness and mercy and truth. And then it goes on to say also in Hebrews 1.3 that Christ is the express image of the Father's person. What does that mean? If you were to take a Bible dictionary or concordance and open it up to these words, express image in Hebrews 1 verse 3, you will find that these two words, express image, are translated from the original language, 
from a word which in the Greek it says character. That is where we get our English word character from. So express image means character. The express image of his person. So what the scripture is telling us, that Christ is the brightness of the Father's glory, which means the full revelation of the Father's character, and the express image of his person, which also means he's the full revelation of the Father's character. So it is a repetition of the same thing in order to emphasize it. And that is a form of what you call Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is called parallelism. It's a means of saying the same thing but in different ways. The express image of his person, the brightness of his glory. Just repeating the same thing in two different ways. We do poetry by rhyming. They did poetry by making parallel statements, repeating different statements, meaning the same thing. So when it says that Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of his person, he's telling us the same thing twice, emphasizing the fact that the life of Jesus was a perfect revelation of the character of God. So even dying on the cross for sinners, he was revealing the character of the Father, our God who even dies for his enemies in order to save them. And so the scripture tells us in John chapter 1 and verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. It means he has fully revealed him. In other words, the one who is closest, who knows the Father fully inside out, has made him known. John 1.18 and the scripture also makes this clear that Jesus is the only one who can declare the Father, who can give us a perfect revelation of the character of God, being himself God manifest in the flesh. Notice Matthew eleven twenty seven. It says, All things are delivered unto me by my Father. This is Jesus speaking. And no man knows the Son except the Father. Neither does anyone know the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son will reveal him. So if we want to understand God and what he's like, look at Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can give us a true, accurate picture because the Bible says he has declared him fully. What did Jesus say to Philip in John 14 and verse 9 when Philip said, Show us the Father? Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you and yet you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how is it you're saying then, show us the Father? Now, what did he mean by this? Jesus was saying that he was merely putting the Father on display. He was saying that when we study his life, the way he treated people and responded to people, the constant daily outpouring of love for the people he came in contact with, day by day by day by day, the proud and arrogant and the lowly of society, the sick and the suffering, those who were trapped in sin and those rejected by their fellow men, he showed them acceptance. He did not condone their sin. No, he rejected their sin. But he loved the sinner and he sought to lift the sinner up into a new experience, a new consciousness. He came not with condemnation and indignation, but rather offering forgiveness and healing, showing them all a better way, the way of eternal life, even to the point of praying forgiveness for his tormentors while he hung on the cross. His words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about that. 
The scriptures tell us in John 3 verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This was the character of God being put on display by the only one who could give that perfect revelation. Hence, in John 14, 9, right after telling Philip that when you see me, you see the Father, he goes on to explain what he meant in the very next verse. He said, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. In other words, Jesus was saying, Whatsoever you see me do, it is the Father who does it through me. So in the same way that the believer is called to reveal Jesus to the world by surrendering their life to him, by submitting themselves to him so that he can live out his life through them, likewise, as our example, Jesus Christ, while living on earth, lived among men such a life surrendered to the Father's will that God could live out his life through him to reveal himself to the world. Hence he could say, He that has seen me has seen the Father. You know, there's a song which says, Live out thy life within me, O Jesus, King of Kings. That is the principle that he demonstrated, allowing the Father to reveal himself through him by his total surrender and submission to the will of the Father. And this is hugely important, dear listeners, because as we go through our Bible studies from time to time, we will come up against things in the scriptures which seem to present God in a negative light, sometimes as an angry, violent, destructive being who hates his enemies and in a fit of divine rage wipes them out. We will come across many examples, especially in the Old Testament, but the lesson here is that we are going to have to condition ourselves to pause, to step back a little and look again, and to see with new eyes. Because if we do not see certain types of behavior in Jesus Christ, it is not in God. We will come to understand clearly what role God plays, if any, in all the destruction that has happened in the world throughout history and even in our day. If any, we will see clearly. And this, as I've said, is crucially important, dear friends, crucially important to understand. If we're ever going to have the experience of being able to trust God fully and without fear. Even when our life is on the line, we will have a perfect peace, trusting in God completely, knowing firsthand that there is no fear in love because perfect love casts out all fear. And as we see more clearly, it will transform and lift us into a fresh new way of relating to our God and to our fellow men. Dear friends, there is a whole new depth of understanding of the scriptures that is just waiting to be opened up to our eyes. And in it, we will truly see the beauty of God in an empowering way. Keep trusting. God bless you all. I love you all. <music>